Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing Chicken Soup's latest edition, The Joy of Less. It is a collection of 101 stories from real people who have figured out how to declutter and simplify their lives to experience joy and happiness. Good morning, Amy. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I am good. Thank you for having me on again. I'm very excited to talk about Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Joy of Less. This is one of my favorite books that we've ever made. Fantastic. I love the book as well. It's always a pleasure to have you on the air with me hanging out in the kitchen. So I just want to let you know that The Joy of Less is a terrific read. Several of the stories hit home for me, and so I want to congratulate you on the book launch. Well, thanks. I think I I made this book because somehow subconsciously I knew that I needed to read this book. And I guess that's why I make most of the books that I make, because I yeah. want to read them, mm-hmm. uh, which is a nice position to be in as a publisher and an author. I guess yeah. it's like a musician who composes music he wants to listen to, right? So right. I I knew that I needed to do this for myself because I needed to get control of all the stuff in my mm-hmm. house, and I needed <laughs> to get control of my calendar, um, and I just needed to declutter and simplify my own life, and Mm -hmm. we'll talk about it later, but it has made a big difference to me already, implementing the advice in this book. Fantastic. You have a wonderful, wonderful co-author, Brooke Burke-Covet, that co-authored this book with you, and she wrote a wonderful introduction. I thought it was fantastic. Please share that with us. So what I love about uh, Brooke Burke-Charvet is that she is – you know, an extremely busy actress, very much in demand. Um, she happens to be the host of our television show, Chicken Soup for the Souls, Hidden Heroes, um, the one that's on for families on um, weekend mornings on CBS. Mm-hmm. And she's also going to be on Celebrity Apprentice later this year. That was already shot. She um, is a spokesperson for Skechers, those sneakers. She's a spokesperson for Poise. She has a, a cooking show. I mean, she's just so busy. And she's a very, very involved mother of four kids, all of whom are still at home. They're, mm-hmm. They range mm-hmm. from age like 8 to 16. So she's got four kids at home, a husband, a dog, a house, this really <laughs> busy career, her own website, modernmom.com. So I thought, wow, what a perfect person. Mm-hmm. to help me with this because she really knows how to cut through to the essentials in life to preserve right. her sanity and to remain as good a mother as she is. Mm-hmm. And also I knew something about her, and that is that she has always been very good about cleaning out her closet. Like <laughs> I had seen on her blog 
that she'll go into her closet every month and she'll get stuff out of there. And if Mm -hmm. she has something that she thinks would look great on one of her friends, she'll pass it on to her friend and her friends will give her their, their stuff too. (laughs) Um, Of course they're out in LA and they're all gorgeous and they're all like tall and thin and, you know, wearing like a size two or zero or something. (laughs) But, you know, up in the like size six category, I've traded clothes with my friends. So I understand that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I thought, wow, she really already lives this life, you know, and and so that was really inspiring. And so in her introduction, she talks about that. And the main thing she talks about is how she learned how to say no. And it's something that you just have to learn how to do. And in the beginning, it was hard for her. And so she would have way too many things on her schedule. And she said it wasn't until she turned 40 that she really got up the courage, I guess, to just start saying no and start trying to preserve time on her calendar to be a mom, you know, and to be at home with her kids and also time just for herself, you know, actual me time, because you're not a good mom if you don't take some me time also. Mm-hmm. So she talks about that in her introduction and how you you really have to give a firm no up front. You can't be like, well, I'm not sure if I can make it because then people will take that as a yes. They'll always take yeah. a maybe as yeah. a yes. So you just have to firmly but politely honestly say no right up front i know in my own life i'll say no to people and then i'll sometimes come back and say yes later but i always <laughs> lead with no when it comes yeah. to a commitment on the calendar because that way i am sure i'm not going to disappoint them yeah so um she talks about the power of no a lot and then she also talks about decluttering your closets etc and then she has a story later in the book where she really gets into her tips on how to declutter you know, your material possessions. So the introduction is really about keeping your calendar clean so that you keep time for the things that really matter and you say no to the things that don't matter. And then later on in her story, uh, which is called Controlled Chaos, Mm -hmm. she really gives us great tips on how to get rid of all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Why don't you share the story with us? Sure. I made it the last story in the book because I thought it was like a good wrap-up for everything Mm -hmm. that we had learned in the book. And so she talked about a specific time for her. Last December, during the whole Christmas break, her family made a very last-minute decision to move out of the humongous house that they were living in because um, they had a reason to move out of it. Somebody else wanted to rent it or buy it or something, and they decided to downsize into their previous house, which they still owned and they were renting Mm -hmm. out. And so it was a downsizing by two thirds. So they went from a humongous, humongous, you know, Hollywood Mm -hmm. home to a regular fabulous holiday home, Hollywood home, you know? (laughs) And so, so she had to get, you know, herself packed, her husband, the four kids, and she had a system in place called gift give or garbage and so the kids had to go through their stuff and make you know piles or boxes for stuff they were going to give to someone else like hey maybe your best friend would love this or Mm -hmm. you know you have two bicycle pumps you don't need two and you know your friend needs one and maybe Brooke looked at her clothes and said oh my friend would love this particular sweater and I don't wear it anymore Mm -hmm. so that was the gift category then give was the stuff that was going to the thrift shop, um, 
and then garbage was the stuff to be thrown out. And so they went through their home, and her kids got especially good at it when they found out that a family in their temple community um, lost their home. Uh, mm-hmm. They had their house had burned to the ground, and so this family needed everything. And that really got Brooke and her kids going because then they knew who they were giving all this excess stuff to. Mm-hmm. And that but then their ki- her kids were more able to look at something and say, I don't need two of these, so I'll give one of these to this family who we know from Temple, and I'll keep the other. And so um, they did it, and they actually managed to, you know, move into a house one-third the size of where they had been, and they did it all in a matter of weeks. It's a fabulous story, and what I like about it is teaching children at a very young age to be mindful and to be appreciative of what they have. And most importantly, it's a wonderful feeling that we have once we start sharing things and helping others. Yeah. I mean, when you do volunteer work or you give stuff to the thrift shop or you give stuff away, you know you always feel better as the giver. Mm-hmm. than the beneficiary feels. I mean, it's like Christmas. Everybody knows yeah. it's more fun to give than to receive at Christmas. And it's the same way. I mean, I took a whole bunch of things to uh, the church thrift shop, and the ladies there were so nice when I brought things in because I was like, I I felt a connection to these things. So mm-hmm. I would bring in, you know, like a long dress, and I'd say, you know, maybe um, this could go to that. They, there's like a program in our town for collecting, you know, potential mm-hmm. prom dresses. So I said, yeah. maybe this would work as a prom dress. And they said, oh, yes, this is lovely. I said, well, do you think that you would like this scarf to go with it and this purse to go with it? And they said, yes, we would love that. And it made me feel so good because you want yeah. to feel like these are things that you did love. You brought them into your mm-hmm. home. You used them. And you want to feel that someone else is going to love them. And so it makes you it's so it's really nice to give stuff away and know that it's appreciated and that someone else will feel good about using it. You don't need mm-hmm. to get paid for it. You just need to know that it's appreciated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. One of the things that I got from reading the introduction, and this is powerful because sometimes I myself actually started out being very, it's very difficult for me to say no, but yet no is such a powerful word to use in terms of helping oneself. How does saying no change one's life? for the better. Well, I think that most of us are eager to please and we are always eager to help people and so we've all gotten ourselves into the position where we say yes to mm-hmm. too many things. And you know, you only have so many hours in the day. Yeah. And so if you have x number of hours in a week that you could devote to volunteer work and you start saying yes to everybody and you're baking cupcakes for one thing and you're taking tickets at another event and you're babysitting at another event and you're ushering at another and you're driving somebody to and from or your friend says, could you drive me to the airport? You really don't want to, but you say yes anyway. Mm-hmm. You end up being so frazzled, you become less good, right? You become yeah, less yeah. value valuable and you end up doing everything a little less well And it's okay instead to say, you know what, I have five hours free to volunteer in each of my weeks, and I know that you really need that ride to the airport, but I am going to be volunteering at the church during that time, so I'm sorry, I can't drive you. 
-hmm. And you have to just preserve your time. And there were a lot of people in the book who talked about how they finally got up their courage to say no to some things. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that they were reducing the number of hours that they were doing outreach of some kind in a week. They were still doing just as much nice stuff, but they were focusing it more now on areas that they really cared about, on Mm -hmm. the volunteer jobs that they really wanted to do. And so that made a difference. And then there's nothing wrong with preserving an hour a day for yourself, that me time, because that's what keeps you sane and that's what makes you better the other 23 hours of the day. And so this is a lesson that is repeated over and over again in Mm -hmm. Chicken Soup for the Soul, the Joy of Less, that you just have to get up your courage to say, no, there was a really funny story. And she didn't really write it to be funny, but (laughs) I think it's funny. There's a woman who wrote about how she was always saying yes to everybody. And then one day she was stretched so thin, she finally got up her courage and she said no. A lady called her and she said no. And she thought, oh, this is going to be awful because I'm always the first one called. Everybody (laughs) always calls me. They really, really need me. And so she said no and lightning didn't come down and strike her. And Mm -hmm. the woman on the phone just said, okay. I'll just go to the next person on the list. (laughs) And then our story writer realized, oh, my gosh, my last name starts with A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's why she was always called first. And I love that story. She had never even thought about it. She just thought that she was everybody's first pick. I love that story as well. I know exactly what you're talking about. So thank goodness my last name is T. (laughs) <laughs> that's right. That's right. They only call you when they're desperate. <laughs> I know that, but it doesn't get to me. I mean, uh-oh, that's bad. <laughs> In your own experience, how difficult it is to say no to people? I think you get better at it as you get older. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm just more crotchety. I don't know, but I just, I, I've learned how to do it. I Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I usually try to give them an explanation, though. You know, I'm I'm yeah. so sorry. I would love to do that, but I'm doing such and such instead. Yeah. And there might occasionally be a white lie because it might be that occasionally I do need that hour mm-hmm. of time for myself or my head will explode. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of mush all your hours together and you say, I'm really sorry, I can't drive you to the airport because I need to do blah, blah, blah. Well, even if mm-hmm. you're doing blah, blah, blah a different day, well, it's all part of that time you've allocated to doing things for other people and and some people will take advantage and you just have to learn how to say no to them and we have a lot of stories from people who were being taken advantage of because there are people who even though they're very nice they will keep asking and asking and asking i have a friend who doesn't work Mm -hmm. and so because she doesn't work everybody assumes that means that she can do all of these things and that's not really fair Right. It's not really fair to just say, oh, you can drive me to the airport because you don't have to go to an office. Well, my friend has other things to do. and right. She has volunteer work at her church, and she has other things she's doing. So there are people who you just have to say no to, and if they are the kind of people who take advantage, well, I can assure you that you are not the first person to say no to them. They're hearing <laughs> no all the time because they need to hear no all the time. And then in other cases, it could just be that, it's somebody very nice, and you just say to them, I'm so sorry, I can't help you with that school function mm-hmm. because that week I'm spending six hours at my church doing such and such. And mm-hmm. they'll understand that. So true, though. 
Is there a checklist that one needs to go over before saying no? I guess what you could do is write down, if you're in this position where you're just saying yes too much and you're stretched too thin, you probably should sit down and make a little list of what do I need to do so my head will not explode? And that's probably not how people normally talk about self-help advice. <laughs> they probably use terms like, you know, realize my greatest inner potential. But I say, no, just what do you need to, what, what kind of time do you need to preserve so your head will not explode, which I think is more real life. And so if you realize that you need an hour a day to read a book and sip tea, or you need an hour a day to go for a walk, or you need to spend three hours this week you know, cleaning out your closets, whatever you need to do so your head will not explode so that you won't become a raving maniac who's grumpy, um, you need to do those things. So you need to write that down and say, all right, how much time do I really have available to do all these other things? And then you got to do this at work too, and that's a problem. And so I say no at work all the time. Now, I am one of the owners of the company, so that helps me get away with it. But it's still tough, but I just have to be firm. And what I've learned to do is say to people, I can't do that right now, but I can do that, and then I'll give them a date like six weeks from now. Mm-hmm. And then if, they, if it's still that important to them, I will do it then. But I will give them a date, but it will be really far off. And you could mm-hmm. do that for volunteer work. You could say, I cannot bake the cupcakes this week, but mm-hmm. I can bake them next Easter or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. And then see if they still want you, but at least then you have offered up something. Yeah, yeah. That's good, though. That's very, very good. I think the most difficult thing is the fact that you are afraid that people don't like you when you start to say no. And on the other hand, by saying no, you are actually preserving yourself. Okay, so I have a suggestion then. Just mm-hmm. have friends who are just as busy as you are, and then they'll understand. <laughs> You know, I don't think I have any friends who mind when I say no. My friends are the kind where I'll be like, I have to cancel lunch. I'm so sorry. And my friend will say, oh, good. I didn't know how I was going to make it today. So (laughs) get really busy friends. (laughs) That's a good suggestion. Excellent suggestion. How can the joy of less help readers to declutter and organize their life? Well, there's some really key tips. Um, And so now we're talking about stuff. We're talking about decluttering material possessions. So I think the biggest tip in the whole book in that regard is to look at the stuff in your home and say, is this something that someone else would really love and that someone else could really use? And it's all it's doing is, you know, creating mess in my home. This is someone else's blessing. And if you yeah. keep saying to yourself, are you holding on to someone else's blessing, you feel really good about getting it out of your house. And then another great tip in the book is to just start small. You can't look at that mess of your house that has you know, 10 or 20 years worth of stuff <laughs> in it and say, I'm going to clean the whole house. Just pick one tiny thing. Clean out your sock drawer. Clean out just your collection of baseball caps. You know, clean out just your collection of old, disgusting T-shirts. One thing. Just clean out one thing and see how it feels. And then pick another one thing, a tiny thing. And you do one tiny thing at a time. And 
give yourself a whole year mm-hmm. to do one tiny thing at a time. And it's amazing how good you feel. Just like I did this. I cleaned out the sock drawer. That was the first thing I did. Mm-hmm. It was so nice just to clean out the sock drawer. And then I went and cleaned one more thing and one more thing. But you cannot look at the forest. You have to look at the individual trees. Mm-hmm. So true. So true. I have always learned so much from reading the various stories that Chicken Soup put together. Do you learn? Did you learn something special from the various stories for this particular book? Yeah, I I think I was pretty good already on the power of no. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty good mm-hmm. on cleaning out my calendar. Um, terrible on cleaning out my house, and so I think that <laughs> I think that on, for me, the most important thing that I learned was to look at everything as someone else's blessing and realize I'm being selfish by holding on to this. And if I wait until this is out of style, even though I'm not using it, and then I pass it on to someone else, well, now I've passed on something that isn't good to anybody. Why not pass it on to someone else? And I always imagine who that person is. When I take stuff to the thrift shop, I have this imaginary person in my mind, this woman who's going to come in (laughs) and get the stuff. And and in my mind, this is a very hardworking woman. She's an immigrant. Her um, English is not her first language. She's moved to this country. She's raising these wonderful kids who go to our local high school, and her kids are going on to college, and she is just this – she's this lovely person who I want to share my things with. And that's the person who I'm thinking of when I bring my stuff to the thrift shop and I always bring it on hangers and it's beautifully organized and I button everything. And if there were extra buttons that came with it, I, you know, I put those on Mm -hmm, the sweater mm -hmm. or whatever it is with a safety pin so that this imaginary person, this friend of mine, I'm imagining will get all of those things from me. I mean, I really try to pass it on to her in the best possible shape. That's fantastic because you really go through the whole process in detail and I think, as you had mentioned before, I believe, the process itself adds something to the inner you. And that's very special. Yeah. It's really exciting when I go to this church thrift shop mm-hmm. and I see ladies coming out carrying shopping bags. And I know they've been shopping there because the way that our thrift shop works, the one that I donate to, is that nobody has to bring money. They're mm-hmm. just they're people who are... Um, selected from the community as being mm-hmm. eligible because they're on some kind of assistance or they're in right, some way worthy right. of this. And yeah. then they go and they're and they're allowed to pick out, say, 20 items. And mm-hmm. so they get to go shopping, and it's, it's beautifully arranged for them, and it's a process that is dignified and mm-hmm. preserves their, their pride and makes them mm-hmm. feel really good. And they don't pay for anything. They just get to select. 20 items or whatever the number is and then Mm -hmm. take them home. So they get to go shopping. And so um, I really like that. Wonderful. As usual, I've selected several stories from the book as talking points for this morning. So let's pick up the very first story. I love this story. And lots of this, there are tons of wonderful stories in the book, no doubt about it. And I picked several stories that I sort of, I would say, hit home to me because things that I can relate to that I have experienced in my own life. The very first one from the first chapter, The Freedom of Less, Going Places with Less by Susan Lezak. So Susan talks about the fact that um, 
she and her husband decided to sell their home that they had lived in for 30 years and travel across the country in an RV. And so they went from, you know, a full-sized house to an RV, 350 square feet. So it is. it was a huge downsizing. So what they did was for an entire year before they were going to leave, they stopped buying anything except food. They didn't buy clothes. They didn't buy shoes. They didn't buy stuff for their kitchen. And she said that was actually really fun and that was easy. And um, and then they just started giving stuff away. And so um, they end up they ended up, you know, gradually. First they gave away the easy stuff, things like Halloween decorations, Christmas ornaments, and then mm-hmm. it got harder and harder as they were dealing with things like photos and yearbooks. But they ended up scanning all the photos, so they still have them all in their computer. And now they've been living in their RV for a year and a half, and they love it. And as she says, they have a huge backyard. They might be living in this (laughs) tiny RV, but they have a huge, beautiful backyard because their backyard is the entire United States of America, which they're driving around. (laughs) And she says, we have a very rich and fulfilling life, just Mm -hmm. with less stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I love about the story is the fact that as a couple, there's a new sense of rejuvenation. It's like we're studying over again from a fresh perspective in a totally different vision of where we want to spend the rest of our life with. And it brings that sense of closeness together. Yeah, that's true. That's true. A lot of people talk about that. It's funny, but having a lot of stuff gets in the way of having those personal relationships. And a lot of people in the book talk about how having less possessions makes them feel closer to their family members. They somehow see each other better. They enjoy each other more because there isn't all this stuff distracting them and getting in their way and taking up so much of their time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. The second story is from the same chapter, The Freedom of Less, Going Naked by Sally Freeman. Yeah, so this is not a topic I had expected to be covered in this book. (laughs) Sally writes about going naked in that she went outside without makeup on. Now, I am not a makeup person. Mm -hmm. I mean, I most days do not put a single item of makeup on my face. Um, But Sally was one of those people who gets out of bed and puts makeup on and feels like she can't go out with her actual skin showing. And so she just talked about the whole experience of going without makeup and how the first time she did it, she thought everybody was somehow going to look at her and talk about her, which is so crazy. I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, I'm more like when I put makeup on, I'm worried that people are going to notice it and comment, oh, you're wearing makeup today. (laughs) So anyway, she talks about how she did it and the earth did not open up and swallow her up and <laughs> nobody said anything and they still waited on her in stores and she was able to go through her day without even a trace of lipstick on. And so I just thought that was a good message for women to hear. Mm-hmm. So true. And that's why I picked that story. Not only that, I think it's a generational thing as well. Now, I've met you. You have the natural beauty, so you don't have to have makeup on. So. Thank you, Johnny. That's very nice of you. <laughs> I was talking. I was on a, a radio interview the other night, and I was talking uh-huh. about that story because the two uh-huh. ladies who were interviewing me, they love uh-huh. their makeup. Uh-huh. And then I was talking about how how I really don't wear makeup, and even if I do put on makeup, it's like it takes me two minutes. It's like hardly uh-huh. anything. And then they said, "But, 
but we saw you and you looked so pretty. And I'm thinking, well, yeah. And they were trying to say, but you looked pretty. You must have been wearing makeup. And I was thinking, but yeah. that's just the whole point. You don't have to wear makeup. Yeah. So yeah. they weren't they 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 couldn't understand how I had looked pretty when they saw me, but but I was claiming that I don't wear makeup. You know, <laughs> but honestly, I don't like makeup. I mean, even yeah. even getting married, it was like two minutes makeup's on. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, you I mean, you do you do you're very beautiful. So uh, so that works out very very well. But a lot of times, and again, this is a, a wonderful story for people that sometimes feel that uh, it's a self esteem issue that I feel like I need to do something to enhance. And it's the authentic you that makes the difference. So I've gone on television shows where, you know, you go ahead of time and, like, the makeup person there puts the makeup uh, on you. Uh, and then I'm, right. like, the dog after the bath. <laughs> you know how you bring the dog home from the groomer and the dog wants to, like, roll in the yard? Yeah, That's how yeah. I feel when they put the makeup on me. I, like, I, I sneak into the bathroom and start, like, sponging it off. <laughs> the next chapter, The Joy of No. This is really cool. Silencing the Shoot Monster by Sydney Logan. Yeah, so if you're one of those people who doesn't know how to say no, this is the chapter for you, The Joy of No, and Sydney's story is a perfect lesson because Sydney was one of those people who thought she had to be superwoman and she had to do everything perfectly and she had to say yes to everyone. And she was always saying, I should do this. I should do that. My, I should have a sparkling clean house. I should cook dinner every night. I should plan the perfect birthday parties for my children. I should volunteer in my community. I should bring homemade dishes to church functions, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. And then she said this was basically the should monster and that she had to learn how to say no. It's absolutely okay to say no. And she said if we want to keep our sanity, we have to. And so she has learned how to say no. And this is a common refrain in the book from women who kept saying yes over and over again. And then finally, as their heads were about to explode, my favorite expression, they finally <laughs> learned just from self-preservation that they had to say no and then realized, wow, that really worked. Mm -hmm. And so she says she finally learned to silence her should monster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This story is a classic example about the idea is of acceptance is feeling good about oneself because it's very, very difficult. I had this problem in terms of, well, if I don't help, I feel guilty. And I've learned over the years, as you had mentioned just now, in terms of I think as we get older, we have a different set of perspective in life and you got to feel good about saying no because you know that you can say yes to something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's important. That's true. Yeah, you're saying no to the things that don't matter so you can say yes to the things that do. You're still saying yes. Yeah, you're still a person yeah. who says yes. You're just saying yes to what you should be saying yes to. And mm -hmm. by saying no, you're opening it up so you can say yes to those other things. And, you know, if you say no to something, someone else is going to say yes to it, and maybe they're better suited for it anyway, and it will yeah. make them happy. Yeah. You say no to some volunteer opportunity that someone else actually wants to do, that's a win-win. Right, right. So true. The next story in The Joy of No, this is a wonderful story, Practice Makes Perfect by Mary C.M. Phillips. 
Yeah, so this is another good um, message, and this is for parents who still have children at home, which is that you have to allow your children to use the power of no as well. And I remember this when, when I was raising my kids. Like my daughter was so good at art, and she was so good at singing, and she was so good at soccer. And then she gave up all three of those in high school because she switched to crew, and she switched to being an EMT, you know, and she switched to the other things that she was passionate about. So she had to say no to things that she was good at so she could say yes to things that mattered to her even more. And that's what Mary Phillips decided. Her son was a wonderful um, musician, but he really wanted to play baseball and make videos with his friends. And finally, um, she and her husband realized why don't we let him? Even though he's great at music, if he's not passionate about it, why are we forcing him to do it? And now her son is just blooming as a young film editor, and he's doing mm-hmm. what he cares about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he was a fabulous jazz musician, but that didn't mean he had to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. This is where the mom see the insights of the situation because a lot of times and I say this respectfully because I've been through it myself where you need to do this you need to do that let's have you learn how to play piano to do this to do that to do everything that is needed to be done (laughs) and is the child living their life or your life exactly and And just because your child is good at something doesn't mean your child won't be good at something else that your child would prefer to do. So it's funny. My daughter does not even remember that she was a great artist. Mm -hmm. She has Mm -hmm. no recollection of it. And yet I remember going to school, and it was always guaranteed that when you went to to the elementary school, you know, parent night, and -hmm. they would have the artwork up on the wall, that hers would always be the featured artwork. You know, it would be Mm -hmm. the one that was like with the blue ribbon on it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't even remember it. But she's a surgeon now. Mm-hmm. She's still working with her hands. Right. So she took that that ability and she just channeled it into an area that she was way more passionate about. Mm-hmm. And um, I never forced them to do anything, the kids. If they tried something and even if they were good at it, they wanted to switch to something else. I always let them switch because they ended up being kids who pursued you know, their adult lives with passion. My son is a writer now, which I never would have expected, but that's what he's passionate about. Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe that's in the genes. That's why you got involved in your later life with chicken soup. It's funny. It's really, really funny that um, (laughs) we have, my husband and I have four children combined. Um, Mm -hmm. He has a son and a daughter. I have a son and daughters. Now we each have two sons and two daughters. And both of the girls have gone into medicine, my daughter as an OBGYN and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. my stepdaughter as a mental health counselor. And then both of the boys mm-hmm. have become writers, which is so surprising to <laughs> us that the two boys became writers. And they're both really good at it. <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. I know. It's really fun to watch them, but not a single one went into business, which is so surprising to us because my husband You're and I right. are both in business. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you never know the the third generation. How about the second generation from you guys? You see, <laughs> that's right. Right, my, my grandchildren will be running hedge funds. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the next chapter is all you need is less, and I love the story. One bag rule by Kelty 
Godi. So Kelty, I think, was a little obsessive in high school, <laughs> and she she would carry around like these giant bags with every possible like school supply that she could need, like every you know just in case thing that anybody could ever have. It was like Mary Poppins' bag, except Mary Poppins' bag in real life is uh, not something that you really should be carrying around. And so it was basically ruining her life. And so then when she went to college, she just decided that she was going to stop this, and she switched to only allowing herself to have one bag. And she realized how much it transformed her life because it didn't matter that she didn't have every possible thing she could ever need with her. Now she could actually see what she was carrying. She could move around quicker. She wasn't hurting her back. And now she's applied that one-bag rule even to traveling. Even if she's going on a trip for a week, she only takes one bag. She is so much happier now. I enjoyed the story because it just sort of reminded me growing up with my mom and whenever we were to go out, even for shopping, she has this humongous bag that she carries with her. And of course, needless to say, it has everything except the kitchen sink in it, you know. And I had the task of carrying that bag for her. I'd rather carry stuff that she bought because it's much lighter than her bag. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's a woman thing or not, but uh, certainly it just reminded me of that. <laughs> Yeah, it, it. I mean, yeah, it's true. We do carry a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> and then if you go out without all that stuff, you feel kind of naked. I mean, yeah. I may, I may not wear the makeup, but I do have that bag <laughs> with, you know, things in it like band aids. Right. Because you right. never know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As a mom, I mean, she's got it all ready to go. She's got everything That's right. just in case. And I mean, we think it's silly, but in all actuality, she's just well prepared. Yeah, my kids used to think it was so funny. No matter what they asked me for, I had it in my purse. <laughs> the next chapter, Joyfully Unplugged. This is really cool. The Freedom of Sabbath by Bracha Gortz. Yeah, so this whole chapter is about you know unplugging from all of those devices. And there are stories from people who realized they were spending more time online with their Facebook friends than they were spending with living, breathing friends, you know, their real human friends. And and then, of course, there's Braca, and her story takes things to an extreme, which is um, the Friday Sabbath, where starting Friday at sundown and going until Saturday evening, um, all the electronic devices are turned off. And it's really cool. I mean, we we have somebody in our office who um, is an Orthodox Jew and she does Sabbath and she has a little kid and a very demanding job. And she said, it's just something she looks forward to all week. That one day when she's off the email, really focused on her husband and her son and, you know, her friends at, at her synagogue and everything is simple and real. And I can see why it's so attractive to do that every single week. It's like taking a vacation, Every week, and so Braca talks about the fact that she was not raised to have the Friday night Sabbath and the complete, you know, like distancing from all modern technology and everything. And now, as an adult, she's doing it, and how much fun it is for her and her family to put their gadgets away and just focus on family and friends right around them once a week. Yeah. I love the story because it reminds me that I need to do that. I don't know about you, but I need to do that. And just pick out a day that you just need to really shut down and not worry about everything because we're so wired these days that we are available 
24-7 in so many ways. True. Although sometimes I feel that it gives me more freedom. Like I feel like I can go, I can go for a walk in mm-hmm. the middle of a day because I have my yeah. phone. And so yeah. I'm reachable and I can call the office while I'm going on that walk if I want to. <laughs> and so in some ways the technology is freeing. So mm-hmm. it might be viewed by some people as a leash. And in mm-hmm. my case, I view it as something that gives me more freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you in terms of the freedom aspects of it, but it's interesting where I don't mind receiving the call in a way, I guess, but I'm not going to make the call because it comes back to what you talked about earlier, the me time. Yeah, or the, the, the thought that if you receive an email, you should be answering it. That's I right. don't know about you, but I've gotten emails where you know, the email came on a Saturday, and I didn't want to answer yeah. it until Monday. And right. then people are like, didn't you get my email? And I say, yeah, it was the weekend. And like, could you please look at it like paper mail and not think I have to answer you immediately? You right. know, sometimes right. I think I should just put up an away <laughs> message on a weekend, right? right. If, they know, right. if they think you're traveling in, I don't know, the mm. desert somewhere, then maybe they won't expect an immediate response. <laughs> the next chapter, the joy of sharing, getting it Gone by Jerry Moran. So this is a really interesting idea. This mm-hmm. woman, Jerry, had had a tag sale, and she said when she really thought about how she did on her past tag sales, she wasn't even sure she had made enough money to cover the cost of you know, the price tags that she had bought and put on everything. And so she decided that she was going to have a tag sale without, a, without tags and without prices, and she was just going to give everything away. And so she just put, she just dragged everything outside, put up a sign that said free stuff. And then she just stood there and watched as people came and they would tell her their stories and they would say, oh, I'm taking this chair and here's what I'm going to do with it. Mm -hmm. And she was so much happier giving the stuff away than she had been haggling over it and worrying about, you know, every little price. And she really wasn't going to net that much anyway from the tag sale. And so this was a great solution. And there was another story in the book also from somebody who just decided to put everything out on her lawn and give it away. And she was so much happier (laughs) doing that. And now with the Internet, you can do that. Like you'll see postings on Craigslist where people are just giving Mm -hmm. something away. Like, you know, put the barbecue at the end of the driveway and and just put a (laughs) sign up and say, like, come and get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful story because this story is about her and what – the action that you took made her realize her own authentic self in terms of like, hey, you know, it's not about the money. This is about me, and I'm happy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because it, it really, that's the thing. You want the stuff that you have enjoyed mm-hmm. to go to a, a new home where it will be enjoyed again. That's really mm-hmm. what you want. You don't mm-hmm. want... You don't really need the money. I think sometimes, though, people want to sell it because they think, well, I want to make sure that the person who's taking my chair values it and appreciates mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so by making them pay for it, you feel like your your chair is going to a good home where it will mm-hmm. be loved and respected. <laughs> <laughs> the next story is from the chapter, Less is So Much More, Decluttering a Brain by Julie Sanderson. Yeah, so this was an interesting perspective. And again, Mm -hmm. I wasn't expecting this, but then I thought, oh, this makes perfect sense because Julie Sanderson suffered a traumatic brain injury from an accident, and that made it much harder for her to deal with things. 
And so there are millions, millions of Americans who have traumatic brain injuries every mm-hmm. year, which means there are tens of millions of Americans who are living with the after effects of a TBI. And it's even mm-hmm. harder for them to deal with all of this clutter. And so she talks about how she has a guy who lives in her house and who helps take care of her and how he helped her learn how to declutter her own home, simplify her calendar, simplify the tasks in front of her. And I thought that was a good lesson. It is. I chose that story because I have a student that uh, had brain cancer, had a major operation, and it just sort of clicked to me in the sense that this is very interesting. And over the course of the year, I taught her ballroom dancing, and it was a wonderful rehab because it's sort of a we just built new neural pathway. And in a way, we're cutting away all the things that's not cluttering her mind for and basically reprogram with good stuff. And this is what the story reminds me of. I think that's such a great thing. And I know that ballroom dancing is one of the um, things that are recommended for older people who want to keep mm-hmm. their brains youthful because the best thing you can do is learn new things. And ballroom dancing right. is great because you're learning something new and you're having fun exercise. Right, right. So true. The next chapter, Joy on the Road, Mental Selfie by Safina Mandani. So Shafina was on a, a grand tour of Europe, and she had forgotten to, um, I guess, clear her memory card and her camera before she left home. And so shortly after she started her trip, her memory card was full, and there was nothing she could do about it. And then she realized, okay, I'm just going to have to actually look at things with my eyes instead of looking at my whole vacation through a lens And she realized that she hadn't really been experiencing her trip because everything had been about taking the pictures. And I see so many people doing this. Like everything is about taking pictures to put on Instagram or Facebook and or they're at their kids' performance and everything is about getting the the best video of their kids' performance. And meanwhile, they're not actually looking at their kid. Everything is for Mm -hmm. the camera. And she ended up finding that taking mental pictures of everything was so much better than having her camera come between her and her vacation experience. So I thought it was a good reminder for Mm -hmm. everybody to uh, come out from behind those lenses. So true, because the view is so much better when you are connecting with people rather than a piece of equipment. Yeah, I find I take fewer and fewer pictures now when I travel because I'm just rebelling against it. And I don't do Facebook because I don't want to have to memorialize everything I do on Facebook because it's like, oh, if it's not on Facebook, it didn't happen. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be one of those people. So true. And the next chapter is a wonderful chapter, Counting Your Blessings, Someone Else's Blessing by Janine Jacobson. Yeah, so this is the story that really had the biggest impact on me, walking around your house and looking at everything and saying, am I holding on to someone else's blessing? You know, why do I have why do I have the same pair of sneakers in three different colors? I really bought the blue ones because I love them. And why did I buy them also in red? I have no idea. I never wear the red ones. I'm going to give them to someone else. You know, why am I keeping this extra blender? I'm keeping it because one of my kids in 10 years might want it, 
No, because in 10 years, there'll be better blenders. Give the blender away now. There's somebody who maybe just left an abusive marriage, and she's setting up a new home, and she could use that blender right now. You walk through your whole home, and you realize how many things you're holding on to that you don't use that are really dragging you down. They're like a psychic weight on you, (laughs) and they could be someone else's blessing. And so Jeannie Jacobson talks about how she did that for her friend, and then how she went home and realized that she was holding on to someone else's blessing in her own home as well. So true. I love the story. It reminded me of years ago when I moved from Baton Rouge to Dallas. A very good friend of mine helped me pack, and literally she told me, have you used this for the last three years? Nope. Gone. <laughs> right. You went to the gone box. Yeah, and someone else will use it. It's not like you're throwing it away. You're giving it yeah. to somebody else who will use it. Yeah. And if yeah. it really is garbage, let's say you have, you know, ancient yeah. ragged T-shirts that you yeah. look like a homeless person if you wear them. <laughs> well, there's those recycling clothing bins, which I didn't even yeah. know those existed. I drove by them all the time, but I didn't know what they were for. And mm-hmm. so now if it's not good enough to give to the thrift shop, Right. I stick it in those recycling bins because I know they're going to recycle it and use the fibers for something else. Mm-hmm. So it's not going into, you know, landfill somewhere. Right, right. So true. The next chapter is The Joy of Studying Over, My Kitchen is a Trunk by Joan Wesson. So this is such a good idea. What Joan did was she was watching a cooking show, and on the cooking show um, they said, You really only need seven basic utensils in your kitchen. You need a slotted spoon, a stirring spoon, a spatula, tongs, measuring spoons, measuring cups, and a peeler. Mm -hmm. And really, you should be able to make everything with those seven items. And she had the typical drawer packed full of utensils. (laughs) So she said, all right, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try having just seven items in the drawer. And she took everything else and put it in the trunk of her car. And then she tried living with just those seven items. And she said it was so nice to pull open the utensil drawer and just see those seven items in there. And over time, she took a couple items back out of her trunk. But after a little bit of time had gone by and she realized she wasn't taking anything else out of her trunk, then she said, all right, that stuff in my trunk's never coming back into my house. So then she started offering it to people, saying, come and shop from my trunk. And she started giving people <laughs> stuff from her trunk. And then she started doing it with her clothes. And everything else. So everything went into her trunk, and then it, when it didn't make its way back into her house, she said, "All right, it's permanently leaving." And then she <laughs> let people choose from her trunk. And so I thought it was a great idea. It's mm-hmm. like a great way to ease yourself into the idea of getting rid of something. You mm-hmm. know, if it's not the trunk of your car, maybe it's an extra closet where you move everything there, and then you see if you ever go to reclaim it. And if it sits there for a year or six months, or three months, whatever your time frame is, well, now you know you're never going to need it again, and then it can make its way completely out of your life. Right. So true. I love the story, as you know, about kitchen stuff with me, and it reminded me how the entire kitchen concept has evolved over the years. I remember watching TV, and I'm sure you've seen this. You know, you need to have this 125 set of Ginsu knife, or this, (laughs) and now you have one knife, a ceramic knife or something of that nature, or a, a crock pot, a special crock pot that can cook everything, all your meals in one, including Thanksgiving. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So it's amazing how uh, less is more. That's true. That's true. And I, I, yeah. And I, well, I know we're going to talk about my story, and I've already yeah. started to experience the joy <laughs> of less in my own home. So what happened for me was that after I had edited this whole book, um, I went off to Hawaii for a well-deserved vacation, and I was so influenced by this book. And so I was in Hawaii the first week of January, and, you know, that's New Year's resolution time. And I sat down, and I wasn't home, but from memory, Mm -hmm. I wrote a list of 52 decluttering projects that I should do in 2016. And I just went through my house in my head. And as I was saying before, make it tiny little bites. And so I, like I went through my closet and I was like, okay, the skirt section, that was one Mm -hmm. of my projects, the sweater section, the t-shirt section, the workout clothes, the uh, cabinet in which I had pantyhose mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, trouser socks, the sock mm-hmm. drawer, the scarf drawer. Everything became one tiny project, some some tinier than others. And then there mm-hmm. were big projects on the list, too, like go through the basement and justify every item that's in there. You know, and if I can't justify yeah. it, get yeah. it out of there. <laughs> um, and so I made this list of 52 projects for 2016. And I've done 16 of the 52 projects so far, and it's wonderful and also a little embarrassing. Like, okay, one of my projects was baseball caps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had more than 50 baseball caps. <laughs> I don't know why. So I decided that I could only keep as many as would fit along the length of this long shelf mm-hmm. in this walk-in closet, and so that's 12. So I... Mm-hmm took them all down, and then I put back 12 of them. And I gave all the rest of them to the church thrift shop. Pantyhose, you're not going to appreciate this, but (laughs) the ladies who are listening will appreciate this. Mm -hmm. I don't know how this happened, but I had 30 pairs of white pantyhose, (laughs) virtually all of them still in their original packaging, untouched. And Mm-hmm. I must have been moving these around since the 1980s because they were in style back then. Right. And I just have moved them from one house to another. Mm-hmm. It was just appalling. I mean, 30 <laughs> pairs of white pantyhose. <laughs> I, I don't even know what happened. I guess I was so disorganized. I kept buying more. And they've mm-hmm. been out of style for decades, although I'm pretty sure now that I've given them all away, they're, they're going to be back next year. <laughs> It's a beautiful story. That's wonderful. Do you have some other favorite stories? Yeah, there's one There's one that I actually told on the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast because mm-hmm. I don't have a storage unit, but I know a lot of people do have storage units. And we had a number of these cautionary tales about storage units. So um, this this story is called Unit 91, and I made it mm-hmm. the first one. Mm-hmm. in the book, and it's by Phyllis McKinley. So Phyllis moved a huge amount of stuff from Maine to Florida, so that's a big, expensive move. And then she rented two huge storage units. I mean, they were each 360 square feet, each of them. Mm -hmm. So that's like, well, that's like a, what, a 12, like a 
12 by 30 foot space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's like a very large room or two rooms in your house. So basically the storage units were like four rooms in a house, right? They were packed floor to ceiling. So she probably had the, you know, like the whole contents of a house in these two storage units. And she spent months going through these storage units and trying to figure out what they could get rid of. And she ended up getting rid of almost everything. And she shouldn't have ever moved it from Maine to Florida. So she spent all that time (laughs) packing it, paid to move it, paid to store it, and then got rid of it all anyway. And we had that so often, people putting stuff in storage units, paying huge amounts of money Mm -hmm. to store stuff, and then giving it all away a few years later. One woman realized that the fees she had been paying for her storage unit would have paid for a semester of college for her grandchild. <laughs> it's wonderful. They are all wonderful stories in the book. And I think the most important thing is that when you read it, it triggers something in you and make you realize that, hey, let's get started if you're on the fence. So that's what I'll gather from the various stories. I like it very yeah, much. Yeah, we... This book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Joy of Less, is a new topic for us. Um, but I, I love it because it's the kind of self-help book mm-hmm. where you can actually make a big difference in your life very easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, just by cleaning out one drawer, you're already going to feel better. <laughs> so true. What's up for Chicken Soup in the coming months? Well, we have a number of really exciting books coming out. I have one at the printer right now called Chicken Soup for the Soul, The Spirit of America. And I'm very excited about that because it's coming out in June. And I know you and I are going to talk about it in June. And it will be out you know, prior to mm-hmm. the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Um, this year is the 15th anniversary of 9-11. It's an election year where people are forgetting that we all love our country. We might have different ideas as to how to run the country, but it's all this passion is because we all love our country. Mm -hmm. And this book reminds everybody that America is a wonderful country and we are lucky to be Americans, and it reminds us why we love our country. It is such a patriotic book Mm -hmm. and interestingly filled with stories about 9-11 still because Mm -hmm. we have not recovered from those wounds. We're still very wounded. Right. and also lots of stories about veterans, lots of stories about active service members, military families, um, a whole chapter just about people displaying the flag and talking about their feelings for the red, white, and blue, mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. about national parks. So I'm very excited about this upcoming book. It was really a thrill to put it together and edit all the stories, and I'm it just made me very, very happy, and it made me feel very patriotic and proud. Wonderful. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to our June conversation with regards to the spirit of America. Amy, it's towards, we are coming to the, towards the end of the show, so we're all excited and waiting for your great recipes for living that you can share with us. Well, right now I'm focused on a recipe for living that mm-hmm. involves fewer ingredients, right? Because we want to enjoy the joy of less. And so I would say I have five tips. Mm -hmm. One tip is it's okay to say no. And I know you and I have talked about that a lot today. Another tip is that favorite of mine, don't hold on to stuff that could be someone else's blessing. 
Mm-hmm. Another tip is sometimes doing nothing is everything. Carving out that me time, that time mm-hmm. to sit, you know, take mm-hmm. a bath, go on a walk, read a book and sip some tea. And then another tip is get unplugged so that you can plug back into real life. And then finally, and this we didn't talk about today, but we have a number of stories about Mm -hmm. it. Your memories live in your head, not in your possessions. Mm -hmm. You don't need to keep something to have the memory of that event or that trip. Mm Because that memories are in your head. They're not in an item that is just cluttering up your home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. I love all the wonderful recipes you're talking about, having a personal mental picture of everything that you do. And most importantly, it's our authentic self, our time, a me time, so that when you regenerate yourself, you can be of better purpose. You are able to serve others uh, at a higher level. So those are all wonderful recipes for living. Thank you so much for your time, and thank you for being with me this last hour. To all our listeners, thank you for being with us. Please join me next Tuesday morning, May 3rd. Marie Jagopoulos, an intuitive counselor, healer, and spiritual mentor, will be doing her Healing Wisdom Hour series. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Amy, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a blessed day. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.